And if you're here for the first time, again, we just want to welcome you. So before I, before I, eh? Oh, did we not do that? Who's here for the first time this morning? If you are, let me just raise your hand. Oh, there we go. Okay. There you go. Welcome. Did you put your hand up, Puti? Oh, oh, you're pointing that way. <laughs> okay. But welcome, welcome. Um, if you haven't received a welcome card, in fact, um, there we go. Thank you. Just hand it out there. I, th- I think I saw a hand somewhere. There we go. And please, when you have time, you can fill that in. Um, even if you just want to tell us, maybe there's some things you want us to pray for, that's, you're more than welcome to put that on that card, and we'll gladly pray for you. Can we pray quickly as we go into the word? Um, Father, I thank you that your presence is here. Lord, I thank you that this is your church. Father, I thank you that there is no church that you have established that you are not king and lord of. And those, Father, that have not submitted to you, Lord, you hold everyone accountable. But yet the Father says, Lord, we we want to say to you that you are Lord of this church. That you are king of this church, you are king of our homes, you are king of our lives. Father, we know that even as we sang this morning that you are a consuming fire. That Lord, that your fire would burn in us. That your fire would burn in our homes, that your fire would burn in the city. That your fire, Father, would burn in this nation. And I pray this morning, Father, as your word goes out, that you'd speak to each and every one of us. That, Father, you'd stir within us a passion for your name. That the fire of God would burn in us, Lord, in everything we do, in this church and outside of this church. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom be first. Lord, not our desires, not our ambition. Not our wit or even our qualifications, but Father, that your kingdom will be established in the earth in every aspect of life. And we commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I have this word and I've titled it Consuming Fire. There was a song that I used to to enjoy. Thank you so much. I used to enjoy... um, um, consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name, Spirit of God, would you fall in this place, Lord have your way, Lord have your way in us. And I used to sing that song in a little office um, when I was doing finances. I was working for a very um, good friend of mine. In fact, I considered him as one of my fathers because he took me and he said, Tim, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to um, do bookkeeping, um, how to apply what you studied, how to learn how, how to, learn how to um, manage people's finances. 
And um, he was my worship leader as well. So it was fun. Because he had put me in the room, and we had this little office at the bottom. He'd work on top with this company that he was contracted to. And I worked for him, and I would do all the other books of other little companies. And I would sit alone in this office, and I would have the music playing. Because my boss was a worshiper, and so he didn't mind. Isn't it nice when you have bosses like that, eh? So you would, you would just allow me just to let the music play. And um, one day, you know, um, I was listening to this very song, Consuming Fire, Fan Into Flame, A Passion For Your Name. And I had this thing, I don't know if you ever had that moment when your heart starts to beat, it's like it starts, you know. And I knew the Lord was speaking to me. And I asked the Lord, what does this mean, consuming fire? All over scripture, the Bible says that God is a consuming fire. What I know about fires that are consuming is that it will devour anything that is in its, that is in its way. A fire that is consuming will, will, will push through anything that comes up against it. And um, I was very young back then and this thing started burning in me. That I believe was when God called me into ministry. Because I started feeling drawn. And I started like, you know, when, you, when you're sitting in an office and you know you're not supposed to be there eventually. <laughs> and I knew one day that the Lord would release me out of finances into what I believe he called me to. Now, some of us, we're called into those areas of finances and, you know, you're called into um, being a craftsman with your hands. You're called into, but for me, I knew the Lord was calling me, like he was drawing me, pulling me into ministry in a full-time capacity. And there was a tugging and there was a, a passion that was stirring. And for years, it, was, it became a frustration. In fact, the day that I was appointed to work for a church, they called me to work in the finance department. And I was, I, I was so disappointed <laughs> because I thought, when the call came, I thought, this is it, Lord. This is going to be um, me being released into a ministry, doing what I'm passionate about. And the Lord said, no, you're not ready. And so I accepted the post I went into working from a, working for a business, a corp, um, well, we were a little small business that did different um, bookkeeping for different companies. Um, one of our biggest clients were, was the International School of Cape Town that eventually branched out and became, I think, six various schools all, all over Cape Town. And the Lord taught me how to steward. He taught me how to, um, how to be disciplined. Things that I needed, how to be self-driven. My boss would, would every week say at the end of the week, you've got to give me your hours. He would never monitor my hours. And I tell you, there were temptations. Days when I would sit and I would be writing down and thinking, if I just add another eight hours. Hey, you with me? Yeah. Ah, you know that's some temptations, eh? And then the Holy Spirit would say, consuming fire. <laughs> Fanny to flame. Passion for your name. If you can't steward that little that God has given you, how can you steward the bigger things that the Lord has in store? And I would feel immediately um, convicted 
to not alter that thing. And I would submit it. And I knew that if I, man, if I just altered it, the car would be there sooner than I wanted. <laughs> consuming fire, the consuming fire of God. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak anymore in, in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire. And shut my bones, sorry, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He's, Jeremiah speaks about the word of God being in his heart as a burning fire. The fire of God that burns within you. Do you know that the, the, all over scripture, fire is described as the passion of God. Where God's passion is poured out. On all mankind. And it's poured out in various ways. I'm going to break that down this morning for you. But God is passionately on fire for you. I don't know if you can picture that. He's passionately on fire for you. God is not a passive God. God doesn't sit back and kind of say, worship me, feed me. It's all about me. That's not the father I know. In fact, God is passionately involved in your life. God is passionately involved in your business. God is passionately involved in your family. God is so passionate that he went after you. And that he found you. There was a song that came out that said, I found Jesus. And we, we, when we scrutinized the words, we realized that that was wrong. You know, God came out into the garden looking for Adam and Eve. God was so passionate about finding them that he was willing to step into the mess. I don't know about you, but that's how God met me. He found me. I mentioned that last week. He came and he found me passionately searching for you. And then when he found you, he poured everything that he had onto you. The Bible says all of the fullness of Christ is in you when you are in Christ. All of the fullness of God is in you. God passionately poured everything into you. Now the scripture says that all of the spiritual blessings in heaven has been given to you. Everything that God owns... As uh, Didi was saying earlier, it's inheritance. Everything that he owns, he passionately poured out to you. And Jesus passionately stood and hung on the cross and died for you and me. Nothing about God is ever done without passion. That's why when we worship, it's passion responding to passion. And passion is not displayed only through an outward. In fact, passion starts from the inside and then it comes to the out. Because passion passion can never be made up. You can't fabricate passion. Passion starts within and then it reflects out. And so the word passion um, is defined as a strong, I love this, and barely controllable emotion. A strong 
and barely controllable emotion. God has a strong and barely controllable. He can't help it. He can't help but be passionate about you. He can't help it. But wake up every morning when you wake up. Not him. He doesn't sleep. But every time you wake up, he can't help but say, my child is awake. Every morning when you, when you speak, he says, I know that voice. Zephaniah 3 puts it this way. He spins with gladness and delight in you. God is passionately consumed with fire for you. And there's nothing, the Bible says, on this earth that will ever stop the passion of God for all mankind. When I got a picture of this, I started realizing the different aspects and attributes of God. Because you see, when you realize this passion, you can then understand why there's judgment. Judgment against not you, judgment against sin. When you submit to sin, there has to be judgment. Because sin cannot go without judgment. A lot of churches, unfortunately, don't want to speak about these things. Father says, we have to. Because we serve a passionate God. And so, turn with me to the main scripture I want to, I want to read to you this morning. And that's Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read from verse 22 and um, to 28. The book of Hebrews is a very deep book. I don't know if you ever tried to read Hebrews without um, a study guide. (laughs) If you don't have a study guide, join the Knowing God series. We have two study guides right there or the Bible school. But the book of Hebrews is actually not known, or let's put it this way, the author is not really known. In fact, some theologians, students have assumed that it had to be Paul that wrote the book of Hebrews. Others have assumed that perhaps it's Barnabas, you know, the great encourager, the one that, that partnered with Paul. Um, and others even made um, an assumption that maybe it's Apollos, you know, that also will join Paul and his, and his mission. And the reason why is because the book of Hebrews is so deep within Judaism and explaining the, the Christ from a Judaism point of view. In fact, if you're a worshiper, worship team, Jason and his team, the book of Hebrews is a great book to study because worship is the, is the highlight of the whole book. How to live a worshipful life. And so the, the, the author of Hebrew, of the book of Hebrews, was dealing into different things, trying to help the Jewish um, Christians to understand the Old Testament and how Christ is revealed through the Old Testament and how Christ fulfills all the promises of God that were in the Old Testament. In fact, it is in the Hebrews where it says that Jesus is the high priest. The high priest like Melchizedek. And he goes before the the, the altar and his blood is the blood that was shed like the lambs that were offered in the Old Testament. 
It's the book of Hebrews that describes the, the tabernacle where Jesus has laid out and sprinkled his blood upon the, the altar. Once and for all. That no more another sacrifice needs to be made. And so Hebrews 12. Um, and we'll join from verse 22. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I'm going to quickly stop there. Mount Zion is mentioned as a representation of the church of Jesus. The body of Christ. Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. In fact, in Exodus 19. Mount Sinai was the place where Moses would go up to the mountain. You'd meet the Lord and you would receive from God the instructions for the people. It was at the foot of Mount Sinai where the Israelites came, the elders came, the Israelites came. And God shook that mountain when he met with them to the point that they were filled with, they were trembling with fear. Because at Mount Sinai they saw the majestic God, the King of Kings, the Creator of all. And they realized that He deserves reverence and awe. And they were scared. Mount Sinai, it was only Moses that was allowed to go up until God allowed Moses to convince him to take Aaron, the priest, his brother, with him. At Mount Sinai, God said, I will only show um, to, to the people my presence when they're at the feet of the mountain. And he warned them, don't even take a step upon the mountain or you will die. And so when, when the author describes Mount Zion, he speaks a very different mountain of the Lord. Because of Jesus, and we're going to see that. It's at Mount Zion where the assembly of the angels are joyfully coming together. To the city of the living God. And he goes on, he says, to the church of the firstborn, that's you and me. Whose names are written in heaven. Now Moses went up Mount Sinai and, and he went to go fetch the tablets and you know, in the Ten Commandments. And, and here the author is saying, but no longer is it, are there ten commandments up on Mount Sinai for one man to go fetch. Because of Jesus, all your names are written in the books of heaven. Can I go further to say that at Mount Sinai, Moses knew God. At Mount Zion, God knew you. It was everyone that was invited through Jesus to the mountain of Zion. And then it goes on and says, You have come to God, the judge of all. This is the kingship of God. This is the lordship of God. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is you and me. Those that were imperfect became perfect through Christ. Came to the mount um, to Mount Zion, to the living God, in righteousness because of Jesus. And it says, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. 
So immediately the author is, hi- is highlighting the old covenant of Mount Sinai that only Moses could go up has been replaced by the new covenant through Jesus to the mountain of Zion. It's a joyful mountain. It's a welcoming mountain. It's where all that were imperfect have been made righteous through Jesus. And it goes on and says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What was the blood of Abel? The blood of Abel was shed because of his brother who killed him. And the blood of Abel cried out to God, it says in scripture, for vengeance for, the, for his blood. The blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness for you and me. It was a better word. It was a blood spread, um, shed for the forgiveness of mankind and the reconciliation of man to God. Verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? What, what is the author saying? He's likening the word spoken by Moses when he came down the mountain and he warned the Israelites that if you don't stop doing this, worshiping idols, and still they didn't listen. And he says, how much greater are the words spoken from, those, from him who is up high, from him that is from heaven, and he speaks a word over your life. He says, don't ever refuse the word of God. And I spoke a little bit about that last week. The word of God for you through his, his written word and the word of God for you through his spoken word. That which God speaks to you in your heart. I sat there that morning, consuming fire, and I said, Lord, send me. And I made a commitment to Jesus to build his kingdom. I did not make a commitment to the Lord to follow a vision of a church. I made a commitment to Jesus to follow his will for my life. Um, I felt like I needed to say that. Okay. And we still do. My wife and I, we are committed to the purposes of God for our lives. And while we are here, we will be stewarding that which God has given us with the elders, the leadership of this church. But my commitment is to him. And I have to surrender to him. You have to surrender to the passion of God that he placed in you. Not to a man. Not to a job. You have to surrender to him. When you follow him, man, when it's, whether it's easy or tough, when you know you're following Jesus, it is far better than being loyal to a man. I said this to somebody the other day. I said, you know what? I'm still trying to find a scripture that says that we are to be loyal. My Bible says that we are in a covenant relationship with God. No, the problem with loyalty is that loyalty is one-sided. You're loyal to me 
And until you stop being loyal, I'll be happy with you. That's loyalty. If you stop being loyal to me, I'm going to excommunicate you. It sounds rough, eh? But it's true. The only thing I know that is very loyal is a dog. <laughs> and I know we've got a lot of cat lovers here. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm neither. <laughs> Sorry, Didi. But God doesn't call loyalty. You know what he calls? Covenant. You know what is covenant? Covenant is both ways. Covenant is I am covenanted to you and you are covenanted to me. There's a devotion in that. I'm devoted to you, Father. And then God says, I'm devoted to you, Tim. So I will do your will. And he says, awesome. And you know what? I will look after you. It is what they call the treaty. Suzerian, Suzerian treaty. It is when a Suzerian treaty was when a king of an empire, a powerful king. I'm not going to liken it to any country right now. Okay? When they adopt a smaller empire or a smaller country, you know, and then they make this treaty and the king says, I have committed to you to de- de- be devoted to you, to cover you, protect you, to guide you, to lead you. And then the other way around, that I am committed to you to serve this kingdom, to be an ambassador for your kingdom, to take your kingdom wherever I go. That was called the Caesarean treaty and that kind of treaty eventually um, the theologians sorry bear with me I studied these things and I can't get it out of my I'm just in such awe of God the theologians found that that was the same treaty when you looked at the covenant between God and the Israelites it was the Caesarean treaty that would um, the king would say I have got you and then there would be an expectation back that you would serve me and my kingdom and so God calls us into Caesarean treaties with him covenant not loyalty loyalty is fickle because we are fickle God is not fickle when God makes a covenant It's a covenant, he says, for generations. From generation to generation. He can't be fickle. He doesn't know how. He's a faithful God. And he's a stable God. And so, it goes on, and I want to get to this verse, which I believe is the highlight for me of this whole passage. It goes on and says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, if if they did not escape when they refused him who haunt them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who haunts us from heaven? At, the time, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. I'm telling you, there's a shaking. And it's, it's been happening for a while, but there is a shaking right now in this earth. And the shaking is not only in the earth, it's in the heavenlies. And the church of Jesus can feel the shaking. We look around, we can sense it. We can feel this, this, this um, a shaking that is happening in the spiritual realm that is manifesting on the earth. 
But the promise of God is that that which is not of him shall be removed. So that that which remains is him. There's a day coming in church. I have to say this because not many preach on this. There is a day of judgment that will come. God has to be just because that's who he is. And he will judge the wickedness within this world. And so I, man, there are times I lay before the Lord and I say, God, remove within me any malice, anything, Father, that is not of you. Because we, if there's a judgment of the wicked things, man, I don't want to be found there. I want to be found with the righteous and the joyful angels singing and dancing, worshiping the King of Kings. And so the author continues and he says, and this is for me is the highlight and I'll give you a few, a few um, points on this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, can I do a charismatic thing quickly? Can you turn, I know, bear with me. Turn to someone and say, receiving a kingdom. That, that word receiving is a continuous thing. We've been teaching this a lot in our church. You are receiving the kingdom. You see, the kingdom has come, the kingdom will come, the kingdom is delayed, the kingdom is now. You've probably heard that, you've probably read that in your Bible, and you've probably wondered. It's a continuous, present continuous. You are receiving the kingdom. As long as we are here, we will continue to receive the kingdom of God. If you are willing to receive his kingdom. So there are areas in my life, and the Lord has shown me, and, and he continues to show me, and he says, in this area term, I need you to still receive my kingdom. Because, you know, this brain and this heart, sometimes they disconnect. And the brain says and thinks selfish things. My wife knows, and she prays for me, and she claps me every now and then. But I know it's not just me. Otherwise, I'd be very, very sad. <laughs> It's all of us. You are continuously having to receive the kingdom of God in all of your life. And that's okay. Because the blood of Jesus is more than enough. (laughs) That's what he he paid the price for. And so it goes on and it says, That kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In other words, there is an unacceptable Worship of God. Wow. What is that? Lord, what is, what is that? The book of Hebrews, the author, says that God, to so worship God acceptably with, and he gives us the key, and the key, the, the, the key to acceptable worship, or the keys. He says, firstly, it's reverence unto God. What is reverence? Acknowledging his kinship, his lordship. Acknowledging that he is ultimately in control. Not man, not me. Not the government, as much as Cyril tries. God is ultimately in charge. 
And so what is worship like that? It means, man, even though I see injustice, even though I perceive injustice, even though I think this is not right for what's being done to me, even though I submit to you in reverence, Father, King, because ultimately you are in charge of all. And so worship like that is a posture, I said last week, of surrender, not a posture of, well, I'm not happy. Show me if you're real. Hey, I'll tell you something. The Lord can take that prayer and he will show you. How he's going to do that, I don't want to know. It may not be pleasant for you in the way that he shows you that he's real. But a posture of worship that is accept, acceptable before God is a posture of you are in control, not me. You are God, not me. The world today declares that they are gods. And they'll tell you that you are God. And whatever you decide is right because you see it as right. As long as my opinion and your opinion, is okay, we don't argue about it, I'll accept your opinion. If you accept mine, you are God. The second key to acceptable worship that this writer speaks about is awe. And man, the awe of, to be in awe of God. I love, Zinzi, the way you lead. I see the awe and wonder of God all over you. Never lose your awe of Him, of who He is. It's eyes focused on Him. It's eyes that are able to bounce off Offense, bounce off what it, disappointments, bounce and to focus and awe and wonder, focus on you. I was not in awe and wonder when I came to this church. I was offended, I was bitter. I tried to camouflage it to doing ministry outside the church. I made an oath. Can you believe it? Tony had to help me with. I made an oath never again to work for a church. Because I was hurt. And I took my eyes off the awe and wonder of God. And you know, God, like I say, you you can test him. Let's see what he does, right? God allowed me to do worship all over the world with this man. Teach on worship. And yet there was bitterness so deep towards his body, his church. And I will say this until the day that God leaves or asks me to leave this church or go somewhere else or die or whatever he does. But I stood at the back there, hiding at the back. And Mr. B and Samuel Kiston, Pastor Sam, and they called it out. And I broke your tears and snot and I said all that to you. Because it wasn't about just me getting healing of bitterness and resentment and whatever. It was me coming back to the awe and wonder of God and the reverence of God and, and him displaying his, he is in charge. Do you know, I was told the day I put my resignation in, and I can share this now. I don't see Bertram. Where's Bertram? He's hiding. Okay. I can share this now because um, that man and I, we are now 
in unity. I was told in a meeting, you will not last one year and you will come crawling back to us for this job. And your house that you bought will be gone. That was a curse. That was a curse. But you know, things can be said, and people can do things, and then God says, okay, are you going to walk in that? Are you going to be bitter and grumpy the rest of your life? Are you going to miss the best parts of your family growing up, your children, just because of your selfish bitterness? Hey, everything inside of me is like, this is just, I deserve to feel this way. I refuse to lift my hands. I refuse to obey my leaders. I mean, seriously, that was my attitude. And all that God was doing is saying, man, I need you back in reverence and awe so that you can worship me in spirit and in truth. And um, this is how, I'm going to still give you the main verse here. Just bear with me. But do you know how, how God works with bitterness? He deals with you. Not with the offender. <laughs> he deals with you. Now, he might be busy with the offender. And that might take a while. <laughs> so think about it, right? If you wait until that offender comes and tells you, I'm so sorry, man. Listen. It was 12 years ago, and only a month ago, I sat with the person that I was offended with, and I could hear the, the repentance. Sometimes the words that doesn't come out, I'm sorry. Come on, man, we've got to grow up, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's not going to be, I'm sorry for what I did. But I heard the, the repentance. I heard the, I'm, the remorse. In fact, I saw it in the eyes. I always say, I look at the eyes. So I never used to look at eyes. And some, someone sat, sat me down and said, Tim, you've got to look at people's eyes. And you've got to communicate with your eyes. Because the eyes, they say, is the window to the soul. The eyes will never lie. A lying eye will always... The words can say the eyes are... <laughs> And I looked at the eyes and I could see this is genuine. Did I wait 12 years to forgive? Oof, imagine. Man, my daughter's almost 16. And next week she's 16. And she wants to like go and study overseas. Imagine 12 years of her life. Her father walked in such bitterness and resentment and remorse. What would she have missed? We wouldn't be at with you guys. Look at them. My daughters, that is. They're next door. They're serving in shine. They're loving Jesus. I could have lost all that because of me. And I know I'm saying this this morning because, man, the Lord gave me such nice points, but God, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> If you join this church with resentment and remorse, I mean, not remorse, uh, bitterness, please, deal with it. You know, some of the men that I took as 
offended me, preached off this pulpit in the last year. Chris is shaking his head. Did you know that? I could sit under them again to receive. This passage ends for our God is a consuming fire. He's burning. And he burns all things that are not supposed to be there. So I'll quickly give you my points. Because <laughs> I'm like that. Eh? I spent a lot of time, Lord. <laughs> you, know. you know, the first point I made, what is the consuming fire of God? Is the jealousy of God? Is his jealousy for you? Is his jealousy for this for this uh, creation. God is so jealous. It says in Deuteronomy 4, 23-24, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, that He made for you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in any form or anything. Not just a little you know, thing. Anything that takes the place of God in your life. The Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God is jealous for you, man. He wants you. And he wants you whole. And he wants you healed. And he wants you um, consumed by his love. And so he'll do anything to get you there. He'll even put people in your life that will challenge you. And you might even think, man, but you, what are you doing to me? And God is like, I'm actually going to allow that. Because you're the one that needs a bit of work on. I'm going to challenge you. The second thing, it speaks about the protection of God. Deuteronomy 9 verse 3. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. God's protection over you is his consuming fire. Wherever you go. And this enemies is not people. Because it would be easy to go there and say, well, if that's the case, okay, this boss of mine, Lord, sort him out. Okay, that guy, that lady, okay. No, no. The enemy here, as Ephesians lays it out, is Ephesians, eh? That we don't fight flesh and blood. But we fight principalities. It is the warfare that's going on over your life. And the Father says, I am burning with so much zeal for you that I am going to devour those enemies around you. Sometimes we, we, we like looking at the enemy and we're like, oh, we're so scared. Or we, man, this is, this is happening to me, my life. Man, God, what are you doing? And God is like, wait a minute. It's like when Elijah, Elijah said, what do you see? What do you see? God is fighting for you to destroy these enemies that want to Break your worship and break your relationship with him. You know, um, my wife and I were sitting the other day and I said to her, sure, that scripture that says, don't store up treasures in this world because um, even worms will devour that, that treasure, you know, when you're no longer here. And I thought to myself, like, why is it that we we work so hard, Andrew. We work so hard, you know, to build all these things up. And I want to look after my family, no doubt. I want to love, make sure that my kids feel they are looked after and loved, protected. But sometimes you just got to be careful. 
that you're not pouring everything out into this materialism. Everything is put in there when we actually, ultimately, are made for Him. And so I wonder, sometimes I wonder to myself, the Lord allows something to happen and, you know, you, you lose a car. That happened to me. I had, I had a guitar, three guitars stolen out of my car. One was stolen with the car. <laughs> and it wasn't even my car. <laughs> it was a friend of mine car that Shomera was looking after and we came in the next morning, it's gone. And the guitar was in and I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, sometimes we hold on to these things and they're just material things. The father's like, man, I'm way beyond that. Because I'm off to you. I want you. It's about you and your relationship. That's more important. God would fight for you, but in ways that may not make sense to you. Lastly, the holiness of God. And I know, man, holiness. It's scary to talk about the holiness of God. But he's a holy God. And the holiness of God, as we saw in um, in, um, Exodus, is the fire of God that will shake things, that will sift out that which is not able to stand within the presence of his holiness. And so when God shakes you, you know, it's uncomfortable. And he's shaking and it's like, man, why is this happening, Lord? And then all of a sudden, you realize, oh, it's because this needed to fall off. Because this cannot stand in his presence. It's because these decisions that I've made are actually not, it's an abomination. Yo, big word, eh? It's actually an abomination in his presence. He wants you holy like he is holy. And I'll close with this. Second Ephesians 5 verse 21, it says, For our sake he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And so in Christ, when you come and you surrender your life to Jesus, he takes all that and he shakes it, right? Because the kingdom is a continuous thing. He shakes it. And he says, right, okay, a little bit off there, okay, shake it again. (laughs) A little bit off my, until the Bible says, the bride is perfect and ready for the groom to come. So, this is not a very easy word, but I wanted to, I wanted to share this because the Lord has been really speaking to us as a church about walking and living out a lifestyle of holiness. And I know with Edel Naidu a couple of weeks ago, it, was, it, was, it really shook me to see what's happening in the world. But what will it take for the church of Jesus to live uprightly and be the lighthouse in a dark world? What will it take for you and me to be so passionate about Jesus that not just we can't just help talking about him but you cannot help but just being in his presence even when things are rough and tough and I just want to say that testimony this morning in the prayer man 
May the Lord continue to work in your life. Because I know, like you said, depression is not nice. eh? But Jesus is with you. And as he shakes that thing, man, I'm telling you, I'm looking at you smiling there. As he shakes that, you're going to be walking in freedom. And then you know what's going to happen? Is that when you share that, others that are still stuck in that depression are going to come out of their their tombs, their grave tombs. That's what Jesus does. That's what he's doing in my life. That's what he's doing in your life. And I'm going to close there because otherwise our children are going to complain. (laughs) I I want to read a scripture. Sorry, man. Um, And bear with me. Those that are visiting the Lord, bless you. But the Lord showed me this and this is for me and this is for you. Because it's important as a church that we walk in these things in holiness before the Lord uprightly before the leadership of the church because God is appointed and approved oh one more thing do you know how God approved his sacrifices by sending the fire you cannot approve yourself only God can approve you and so I want to read this because this is what helped me and I pray it will help you if you came to this church And you might have been offended or hurt by other leaders. Or maybe you're in this church and you've been offended and hurt by leadership in this church. Hebrews continue and says in in chapter 13 verse 7, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. Not the bad. (laughs) Because you're going to see bad. eh? And follow the example of their faith. And it goes on eh? and says... Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I I struggled with that. I really did. What do you mean, obey and do what they say? It says here, this is why the author could say it. Because their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. You see, I had to rest. That even if I felt unjustly treated, that they were accountable and are still before the Lord. And so when you let it go, you let it go to to the Father. And you say, Lord, even if this is unjust, let them be accountable to you so that I can walk in freedom and not walk in bitterness, so I can worship with reverence and awe. And so, give them reason to do this with joy. Not with sorrow. Pastor speaking now. (laughs) This is my pastor heart. Give give us reason to lead you with joy. Not with sorrow. That would certainly, listen, not be to your benefit. It wasn't to my benefit to, to walk things. To walk in that unforgiveness. It wasn't to my benefit. I realized that eventually. It's to your benefit to walk in forgiveness. And to let it go. And so I'm going to pray for us. And maybe you're here this morning and I pray that this word would release you. Would set you free. God is worthy of worship that is acceptable. Reverence and awe. And so Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, that you are the God that is above all things.
with its authority, leaders, governments. Father, you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. And Father, we recognize your Lordship and we submit to your Lordship. I pray for those this morning, Father, that maybe there's been unforgiveness in their hearts. And we, we, we're going into a series of relationships from next week. And I want to encourage you, ask the Lord to show you. Sometimes it's unforgiveness within marriages, and that can be a bondage. Sometimes it's unforgiveness within family relationships, and that itself, in itself can be bondage. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd set us free, that we can surrender these things. Because, Father, your word says that vengeance is yours, not ours. Even in injustice, God, I know that you're faithful. And so I pray, Lord, let this church be built upon your word. Let our homes be built upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, thank you so much. We are just in time. This evening, there is no Bible school. As you can see, we got people um, in Portugal, I heard. (laughs) Um, They've gone for holiday and others have gone away for the weekend and that's good. Got to spend time with family. But um, we will be back. Our last session of Bible school is next week. And and obviously, next week, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, we have our service. I just also want to make an announcement that there will be a special members meeting next week after church. Um, so we just appeal to all members, um, if you can make it, to please attend. Um, otherwise, we will also send out information about that meeting to our members in the week after. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. And have an awesome, awesome week. Amen.